over the past weeks at different opportunities I've had to minister, we've been looking at a little series that had as its basis the term a greater than. Several times in scripture, um, Jesus is described as being greater than, greater than Jacob, greater than Abraham, greater than Abraham because of the covenant, greater than Jonah, because Jonah won a city, Jesus has won nations. And we see in each of those greater than an opportunity to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we come to the last of that series, um, a greater than Solomon is here, or to be true to the text, now one greater than Solomon is here. And I'd like us this morning to look at the context in which those words were said, and then to see how Christ is greater than King Solomon. But I need to pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the worship we've shared, for the opportunity to pray for others who are in need, and an opportunity to give to you of our financial substance. We ask now, Lord, that you, as we turn to your word, that you might speak to our hearts, and that you might, your word might become seed, that will bear much fruit to your praise and glory. Amen. Our reading is found in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 38 to 42. And then there's an Old Testament passage that we will visit in a few moments. So the context. Then some of the Pharisees, verse 38 of, of Matthew 12, thank you. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now, and this is our text, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Now one greater than Solomon is here. My apologies for that. I wear glasses, but they don't always help <laughs> in that way. As I've mentioned, this is the last of the occasions where we see the word a greater than. And of course, the whole purpose is that we can compare Christ with Old Testament characters and on one occasion it was the temple itself. So four characters and one place. Now we come to this uh, occasion where a now a greater than Solomon is here. The context is very simple for us. The Pharisees had come to Jesus, they said there, Pharisees and teachers of the law asked him, teacher we want to see a miraculous sign from you. That in itself was almost impertinent to come to him and to say that, you know, we want to see a sign, come on, perform a miracle. Um, and then he speaks to them in such a, a clear way. He, he lets them know exactly where they stand. He says there, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign. He couldn't believe it. You a wicked and adulterous generation. Now when it says wicked, well I think we understand wicked in that way, there was never a group of people who thought they were more righteous. The Pharisees kept the rules and the regulations. The problem is their behaviour, sorry, that's, sorry, do you want me to unplug this? 
It's okay? All right, thank you. Um, did somebody hear that bang then? Don't worry, it's only somebody wanting to get out when they heard I was preaching. But, but the doors are all locked, so you've got to stay. Okay. When he said to them, you are a, a wicked and adulterous generation, he wasn't saying that the group of people that had visited him were all adulterers. No, there may have been some who were adulterers. I have no idea of knowing. But what he was saying was, you're an unfaithful people. Um, in the Old Testament, the, God would often talk about his people as being his wife or his bride. And when Israel were unfaithful, he would call them unfaithful or adulterous. So he's turning around to them and saying, listen, you are demanding a sign. I can't believe the nerve, I mean, in the modern language, yes, I don't know how you, I've got the nerve to ask for a sign because of your wickedness. Oh, they kept the rules. They kept all the, the laws and everything like that. But friends, let me tell you now, Jesus' condemnation of them was they were wicked and they were adulterous. They were unfaithful to God. And then he pulls out, and we've seen one on a previous study, he pulls out two Old Testament characters who were going to be um, in a position to judge them. And he uses Jonah and Nineveh. He says, Jonah preached at Nineveh, and at least the men of Nineveh repented. Now, later on, the judgment did come to Nineveh, but he said, listen, at Jonah's preaching, Nineveh repented. You're not repenting, and I'm preaching to you. And then he says, you take pride in Solomon, you think Solomon was the bee's knees, and I'll go to illustrate why they thought that. But listen, the queen of Sheba came to Solomon and at least she traveled and at least she listened and at least she inquired as to what the truth was about Solomon and you aren't prepared to do that. So first of all, you're condemned because you won't repent of your sins and you will not give me an opportunity to show to you who I really am. They wanted a sign. They just wanted a performance and Jesus was not prepared to do it. And that's the context we find ourselves in here. And one wouldn't, um, they would not listen to what Christ had to say. Well, we find in this verse very simply, the queen of the south will rise, that's the queen of Sheba, will rise at the judgment day and, con and, and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom and now one greater than Solomon is here. I'd like us to spend a few moments just looking at Solomon for a moment and also then looking, of course, at uh, Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. So I'm going to go to 1 Kings. You have your Bible with you. It'd be 1 Kings. I'm just using one hand now because I'm holding a mic. Okay. 1 Kings chapter 10. Very ten, And here we have the occasion that Jesus is speaking of. The occasion when the Queen of Sheba or the Queen of the South came to visit. It's very interesting. This visit of the Queen of Sheba is actually in the, it's mentioned in the Quran. I didn't know that till did some reading this week on this. It's actually mentioned in the, the Quran. This is, it doesn't make it more valid or invalid. It's just there. You know, that's the way it is. And it says there, when the queen of verse chapter 10, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with many hard questions. It's interesting that this verse seeks to highlight the, the success or the source of Solomon's wealth. When Solomon was going to be king, his father was David and Solomon was going to be king. He asked God for wisdom 
that he might rule and care for the people of God. This is all, you know, the greatest shepherd, God is the greatest pastor. God is the great shepherd. We, you know, any, any of the rest of us, we're just under shepherds. We're just assistants to the great shepherd. That's why Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He, had, he was very pleased to identify himself with that. And because Solomon had an opportunity to ask for money and fame and all the rest of it, he didn't. He said, no, give me wisdom that I might care for, and he uses the word, your people. He realized, Solomon, that the people were not his, they were God's, and if he was going to be a true king for them, he would have to, have to require the wisdom of God. How often have ministries failed, not through lack of knowledge, but through lack of wisdom? Knowledge you can gain, you can read all the books in the world, but it's the wisdom that can so often let us down. And so this, this woman heard about Solomon. It says there, she, she heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord. So not only was he famous for his money and his army and the extent of his borders, he was famous for his relation to the name of the Lord. And the reason being is that he was building the temple. David wasn't allowed to build the temple. David, his father, could collect the materials, but he was not allowed to build the temple because God said he had blood on his hands. But he said, Solomon, your son, would be able to do this. And so the fame of Solomon was two. Yes, he was a celebrity. He was a well-known king. He was really one of the, the, the big guys at that time. But his fame included his relationship to the name of the Lord. And it tells us in verse two there that um, Solomon um, was obviously very wise. We're told, first of all, that in his kingdom extended, he had one of the largest, he reigned for 40 years, which is a long time in those time. He was famous for his wealth, his palace, and the temple. In 1 Kings 4, 2, it says this, he ruled every kingdom between the Euphrates River, it's in the north, and the land of the Philistines, which is the Med, down to Egypt. These kingdoms paid him tax. He also had 700 wives and 300 concubines, but we'll leave that one for the moment. I don't know, the wisdom must have left him then, but there we are. Most of them, it was a political thing. He had, he had Pharaoh's daughter as a wife. The great thing about having Pharaoh's daughter in your palace, Pharaoh's not likely to attack you when you've got his daughter in your house. So many of these wives, it was a, a treaty, it was to do with politics and safety for the nation. I'm sure there were other reasons as well, but that's the one I'm going to mention. In there, yeah. And so we find there that he was the author of 3,000 proverbs. He wrote 150 songs. That's more than McCartney and uh, Lennon and McCartney, I believe. Um, he was a statesman, a poet, a philosopher. He wrote three books of the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And just outstanding. The reason I'm talking about him like this I'm now going to, in a moment, say the words, a greater than Solomon. Say, Who could be greater than Solomon? He wrote three books of Scripture. Christ is greater than Solomon because every book in the Bible was written about Christ, not by Christ. Every book. Find a book and, you know, give a preacher 10 minutes and he'll find you a sermon about the Lord Jesus in every book of the Bible. So Solomon wrote books, but Christ is in every book that is in the Scriptures. And then, just to cap it all, having 
all these political treaties, having the largest land borders that Israel ever experienced, having all this money. It says in 1 Kings 10, 23, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. So very simply, he is up there. So it is the glory days of Israel. They'd never had larger borders. They'd never had more security. They'd never had more money. The, everything, it was just really the top. And Jesus says, a greater than Solomon is here. But he doesn't just mention Solomon. He mentions the queen of the south because she came to see Solomon and she wanted to understand what exactly it was about. Thank you. The wind is blowing this over a bit. Okay. It says in verse 2, arriving at Jerusalem with a very large caravan with camels carrying spices, quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain. So she came to test him. Now that's not wrong, very well. Um, she came because she had hard questions, but she came to test him with hard questions. She wanted to see if he really was as clever as people said. She wanted to see whether he really did have the luxury that people said he had. And that was the point Jesus was making. At least she came to see what was said about Solomon was true. You're not Pharisees prepared to find out if it's true about me, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of God. And so the story continues here. She came and um, we're told that he explained all that was in her mind. It says Solomon answered all her questions and the Queen of Sheba saw all his, all his wisdom. Now, I'd struggled a little bit with this when I was looking at this. How can you see wisdom? I can hear wisdom. Lots of you are wiser than I am, and I might say to you, what would you do? And you'd say, well, I'd turn left, not turn right, because there's roadworks. You know, that's, no, that's probably more knowledge than wisdom, but follow my point. So that was important, that the wisdom came. But it said she saw it. And this is how she saw his wisdom. He says, in his palace, verses four and five, in the food, in the seating of his officials, in the servants in their robes, and their cupbearers. So in all these things, she saw his wisdom. You see, wisdom is not just being wise. Oh, that sounds strange, doesn't it? It is being wise, but wisdom is seen in how we live our lives. So you can be the wisest person, give great counsel and advice and not take it yourself and find yourself in difficulties. And so here we have Solomon. She stands there and she looks at his palace. She listens to his wisdom. She looks at the food. She looks at the cutlery. She looks at the robes, the seating arrangements and she is overwhelmed by it. She can't say this. In fact, later she would say, very simply, the half has never yet been told. She says, I did, did not believe them when they said about you, but now I know it's true. 
So the palace and the food, the seating of the officials, you know, I think I saw a documentary some time ago about Buckingham Palace and when they have a state banquet, how they set out the tables, you know, everything is measured. So the soup spoon, that's the one on the right next to your knife. I have to do that because I'm right hand. You know, that, that goes there. And then yeah, if you're having a pudding, and they sometimes have a pudding at Buckingham Palace, the pudding spoon will go there and it's all set out. Obviously, they've got more cutlery than for one person than we have for the two of us. But, you know, and you look at the tables, they're immaculate. And I understand the Queen will have a walk round and just make sure everything is, you stand back, you go, wow, look at that. That's what was happening to the Queen of Sheba. She saw them, but, and the robes of the servants, they just weren't wearing tatty clothes. They were dressed like royalty themselves. And she was overwhelmed by what she saw. And it says in verse six, well, she saw it with my own eyes because she saw it order. The whole thing about Solomon's life, what things were in order and going well. Then lastly in that, having mentioned the banquet, having mentioned the palace, she says there, and the burnt offerings at the temple. That was the last thing she mentioned. And the burnt offerings at the temple. She was then overwhelmed. Verse five. The cupbearers, the burnt offerings he made at the temple to the Lord. So she was overwhelmed, not only by his wealth, not only by his court, not only by his palace. She was overwhelmed by, and I will use the word, his spirituality. Because in these days, the spirituality was that you offered sacrifice. In fact, I think the authorised version says that he would go up. It's not in that. And it's the word ascend that is only used twice in the uh, Old Testament. And it, the, the thought is that sometimes that Solomon would have a, his palace and the temple would be connected. And he would actually go from palace to temple to worship. And that's where the Queen of Sheba saw what was happening. Having been a Gentile, she would not have been allowed into the premises and having seen all of this, she was overwhelmed by this. She said that I saw it with my own eyes. She not only heard the wisdom, she saw the wisdom with her own eyes. I'd like to just now for some moments of OMA, having seen Solomon, having seen the Queen of Sheba's experience, I'd like us just to quickly look for a few moments and why a greater than Solomon is here. Here we have someone brought up in Nazareth, someone whose father died while he was young, um, before he was certainly 11, his earthly father, pardon me. Um, he was a, worked with his hands, he was a carpenter. And now he's speaking, you say, no, hang on a minute. How can you say that Jesus is greater than Solomon? He didn't have the armies, he didn't have the borders, he didn't have the money, he certainly didn't have 300 wives. You know, was it 300? Probably, yeah. You know, um, and so we need to look at this. Why did Jesus say, now a greater than Solomon? Speaking of himself, he said, no, one a greater than Solomon is here. Well, first of all, the length of Solomon's reign was 40 years. We're told that in scripture, 40 years he reigned. The reign of Jesus Christ is eternal. Solomon's reign came to an end. In fact, it ended in tragedy. He may have been wise when he started out, but he showed great lack of wisdom and was corrupted in his faith by the foreign wives he'd brought into his household. 
And Solomon reigned for 40 years and ended in disaster for the nation. In fact, afterwards, the nations divided into two. Jesus said in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. So we're talking of borders, we're talking of palaces, we're talking of horses and chariots. Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom was a spiritual world. So he was a greater than Solomon in his reign. It tells us in 1 Timothy 6.15, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. Solomon was king of Israel. Jesus is king of everyone and everything. That's why those wonderful words in Philippians, and at his name, every knee shall bow. And so a greater than Solomon was here because Solomon ended in disaster. Christ's reign has not ended and he has been victorious throughout. He's also greater than Solomon in the size of his kingdom. As I've mentioned, the borders of Israel during Solomon's time were the golden age of Israel. But you see, it tells us in Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of this world um, has been become the kingdom of our Lord and of Christ. So his borders were magnificent as far as Israel were concerned. They weren't a world empire, but they certainly had control of a vast area. But Jesus is the king of the world, the whole world. The nations will bow. The nations will be judged. The nations will come to him. We, the promise, sit there till I may put all your enemies under your, foot, your footstool. He will reign. And so in the length of his reign, he was superior to Solomon. In the size of his kingdom, certainly superior to Solomon. In fact, in the wisdom, wiser than Solomon. Solomon's wisdom had been given to him. It was imparted. He said, what can I do for you? Answer, I'll answer your prayer, Solomon. What do you want? He said, I'll have wisdom to look after your people. He said, good answer. Now, because you didn't ask for money, you can have the money and all the fame and all the other things. And that wisdom was imparted. But when Jesus stood, he did not receive the wisdom of God. He was the wisdom of God. He was the one that gave the wisdom to Solomon. And so a greater than Solomon is here in the length of his reign and in the success of his reign, in the size of his kingdom, also in his wisdom. It says in Luke 2, 52, Jesus, a boy, says he grew in wisdom and stature. Well, he grew as children get wiser and wiser. But please, Jesus' wisdom was far superior because the father was speaking to him and he would speak from the father. We talk about his court. So, well, but, but Jesus didn't have any big banquets or robes or crowns. No, he didn't at all. He didn't have any of those things. But it's one of the things that stood out for the Queen of Sheba was the robes of Colin's servants. He says there, um, the attending servants in their robes. And she marked, remarked at the robes that these servants were wearing. I'm going to call them the waiter and waitresses of the time. Even their robes were, wow. I mean, where I come from, they say she was gobsmacked, but you probably don't say that down in posh London. You know, absolutely amazed at it. And I thought, well, how can a greater than Solomon, well, where are the robes? Then I remembered, when you become a Christian, you're given robes of righteousness. 
Oh, we've got no gold, no diamonds, no braid, nothing like this. There's not sort of oranges and purples. Oh, no, no. None of those robes. But in Revelation 7.14, it talks about a group of people whose robes were washed in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, all his servants, all of us here who are children of God, who've given our lives to Christ and asked for his forgiveness, you've got robes. Greater robes than any of Solomon's servants because you have a robe of righteousness. No righteousness in us. I am no more righteous today than I was the day before I got, the day I got saved to now. No, in me there is no good thing. Simple, don't have to argue about it. It's a fact. But I have put on a jacket. I have put on a robe of righteousness. And it's been given to me by Christ. Why? Because I deserve it? No. But because he died on the cross for me that my sins might be forgiven. So a greater than Solomon is now here. Greater in his kingdom. Greater in his reign. Greater in his wisdom. Greater in his, the robes that he gives to his servants. In the end of Solomon's reign, there was a disaster. It says in 1 Kings eleven six. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Verse four, his heart was after other gods. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. So he failed. It was a heart matter for Solomon. Oh, at the beginning he was soaring, wonderful. God was with him, blessing him. People were bringing riches every year. He would get tribute from these people. The coffers, if I could say were expanding and expanding and his wisdom and the books and even people were traveling to see him because of all of this. And it ends in total disaster. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. And now we think of the Lord Jesus. How is Christ great? Well, first of all, Christ's heart was always devoted to the Father's will. Christ was sinless. Sadly, Solomon was not as we are not. He was faithful to the very end. And the end is the cross. And the end is the throne. And the end, there is no end to his kingdom. And he has been faithful and true. Yes, Solomon is a warning to us that just because we are being blessed by God today, do not take it for granted that he will be blessing us tomorrow. It's a heart matter and if we are distracted and we allow things to come in, foreign gods it was in this story, then we cannot be surprised if the blessing of God is taken from us. But Jesus was faithful. He was true. I love a phrase, the faithful son, the obedient son. The garden of Gethsemane, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But it wasn't possible. He said, okay, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. He was greater in gifts and Solomon, and sorry, in the verse it says, Solomon chapter 10, verse 25, silver, gold, robes, weapons, spices, horses. And I thought, how is Jesus greater than Solomon? When did he get anything? He borrowed a donkey one day in Palm Sunday. Um, what else? And that's about it, really. There wasn't much more. There was no nest egg for Jesus, nothing at all. And Solomon had silver and gold and robes and weapons and spices and horses. Oh, what, what did Jesus have? 
Well, as I say, he borrowed a donkey one day, but I just thought about his birth, his incarnation, when they brought him gold, frankincense and myrrh, each one of them signifying part of his ministry, king, sacrifice, priest. They're all there. Even those gifts he had as a baby brought to Mary and Joseph had significance to his future ministry and his future life. Oh, he was greater. Oh, please, Solomon had more money than Jesus. If you had the bank statements out on the table, Solomon, a million. Jesus, well, he wouldn't even had a bank account. You don't need a bank account when you've got nothing, do you? And so he's a greater than Solomon. And then I come to the conclusion. It says after seeing Solomon there that she was overwhelmed in verse five. Overwhelmed. When she saw the servants, saw the table, saw the robes, saw the palace, saw the sacrifices in the temple, she was overwhelmed. Try to think about when was I last overwhelmed? When did I at last go weak at the knees because of something I heard or saw? But she did. And she says, look, it's very simple. I didn't believe it, she said. I didn't believe it. I wasn't sure this was true at all. What they said about you. Um, she said to the king, the report I've heard from my own country about you is that your achievements and wisdom is true. I did not believe these things. Many of us didn't believe these things about the Lord Jesus Christ until I saw them with my own eyes. Indeed, not the half was told me in wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report. May I say, if you're not a Christian, whether with us in the building, you're, you're our guest of honour today, if you are a visitor, or at home, she came to see. That was why Jesus condemned the Pharisees. They weren't, their minds were closed. They're not prepared to repent because they thought they'd done nothing wrong. At least Nineveh repented. And at least the Queen of the South got on a camel and went to have a look to see if it was true. You're not even prepared to investigate. May I just say, maybe that's where you are. You are investigating. Let me tell you that when you come to Christ, whatever your Christian friends have told you about Jesus, it won't be enough. You'll say, do you know what? The half has never yet been told. Our Saviour is so wonderful and so glorious. I thought, well, when have people been overwhelmed in Scripture? Well, there's a couple of occasions. I'm sure there are others, but these that came to my mind. We find in Matthew 17 and verse 6, it says there, at the Mount of Transfiguration, they fell down to the ground. They were overwhelmed. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory of God shone out of Christ. And they were overwhelmed with it and they fell to the ground. I have lights that are upon me so that the, the camera can uh, pick out clearly my wonderful features. Okay, that's just a joke. Okay, so this light is external. When Jesus was the Mount of Transfiguration, no one switched the light on. His natural glory or his supernatural glory shone through and they were overwhelmed I think we could say that. And then in Revelation 1, 7, it says, when I saw him, 
That's John seeing the risen Christ glorified in heaven. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. So the queen of Sheba was overwhelmed at Solomon's glory. Oh, but that's nothing compared to what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were overwhelmed and they went down for the count. And John in Revelation 1-7, when he saw him there with his white hair and the wonderful picture, he fell down as though dead, overwhelmed. And I guess I asked myself the question, when was I last overwhelmed? I thought, what is it? What, how could I conclude this message? How could I invite you to be overwhelmed? May I just say, I can't do that. For something will touch your heart that won't touch mine, and something will touch your heart that my heart that won't touch yours. It's it. There's no formula for it. I can't press a button and say, be overwhelmed. You either see him and are overwhelmed or you don't. And it's not something that would happen every day. I've got to be honest. But there are occasions. When years ago the preacher would say, there are occasions when we go within the veil and we see the glory, the Shekinah glory of God. So I'd like to just share with you when I become overwhelmed. I thought about this for some time before I wrote it. I thought, when am I overwhelmed? Am I overwhelmed when I read about his miracles? I, I, I'm amazed, but I don't think I'm overwhelmed. About his teaching? No, no, great as it is. I, I, you know, I've got to say, I think I'm overwhelmed when I look at the cross. When I look at the cross. When I see him there, on that cross I'm overwhelmed that Jesus would die for me and die for you I'm overwhelmed that with all my rebellion and all my sin and all my behaviour before and I met him and you know there's times I've let him down since I can't imagine that he would do that for me I'm, I'm always extremely touched when people show me acts of kindness I just I never take it for granted never take it for granted but how much more when I see him there let me conclude this, my message by asking you to meditate on the cross would you like to just bow your heads for some moments in a moment Delphine is going to come and sing a song for us just to bring my message to a conclusion you know, I'm overwhelmed when I see the nail prints in his hand. I'm overwhelmed when I see the crown of thorns on his head. I'm overwhelmed when I see where the spear went into him. I'm overwhelmed when I see his back like a ploughed field because of the scourge. I'm overwhelmed. I can't believe he did it for me. I still can't believe he did it for me. But for the Holy Spirit's assurance, I, I couldn't believe that he would do that for me, but he did. Be overwhelmed when you hear his words on the cross. My Father, sorry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he became sin for us, he felt isolated. Luke twenty three thirty four. 
Be overwhelmed when you hear him say, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. I'm overwhelmed. I think how slow I am to forgive. And yet Jesus there on the cross, it was the uppermost principle of his whole being. Then be overwhelmed when in John 19, 30 it's recorded, he said, it is finished. It was finished. He had given all. The law and the prophets were fulfilled. The temple veil was torn from the top to the bottom. There is now a new and living way. It is finished. Forgiveness has been purchased so that we can now wear the robes of righteousness that are there.